Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Good morning. Today we have the wonderful Lorianne Wood from Arkansas. Love that. I have a couple of dear relatives in Arkansas. Uh, She's an award-winning author and a heart failure survivor, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Um, because it will encourage you. Her book is called Divine Detour, The Path You Didn't Choose Can Lead to the Faith You've Always Wanted. Welcome, Lori, today. First, tell us a little bit about your family and then your story and your ministry. Yes, thank you, Sue. I'm so glad to be here. I, as you said, I live in Arkansas, the northwest corner. I have three grown children that all live too far away from me mm-hmm. <laughs> for my liking. Bummer. I was sending the, I know, right? <laughs> and I recently became a grandma this year. So I have a oh. little granddaughter that's nine months old. And Wonderful. just everything people say is absolutely true about being a grandparent. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. But my the the story that I have and and what's kind of propelled me into writing was really started, it's been about seven years ago. It was late 2015. And I had a medical evaluation, one of those that just sort of looks at everything and they take all your vitals and the blood test. And they said, wow, you have less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease. Hmm. And I thought, well, that didn't really surprise me, honestly, because it was never on my radar. I I don't have any family history. Um, I have no risk factors. Didn't know what those were at the time, but looking back, I had none of those. I had no lifestyle risk factors or anything else. Hmm. But still, three weeks later, I was diagnosed with end-stage heart failure. What does that mean, end-stage? Like you're in the process of having a heart attack? Well, heart failure is a little bit different than a heart attack. A heart attack can cause heart failure, but heart failure is just that the muscle is not sending enough blood out to the different portions of the body to function as it should. So it can be caused by a lot of things. Mine, they did do um, testing and I didn't have a heart attack, which I would have been surprised (laughs) because it would have been a really secret heart attack. But they don't really know what the cause was at this point. It could have been a virus that just went undetected at the time and slowly got worse. It could have been something genetic that they haven't pinpointed as genetic yet. Mm-hmm. Tell, walk us through the story like it was happened. I think you realized it though, Sunday before Thanksgiving. Yes, I was feeling really sluggish, mostly just fatigued and not mm-hmm. able to do all the things I wanted to do to prepare for my kids to be home and all the family here for Thanksgiving. So I went to convenient care on Sunday before Thanksgiving and was given an inhaler because I was having trouble breathing. It just felt heavy in my chest. 
Hmm. And I, I didn't get any better than Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, I went back to convenient care and they gave me an antibiotic. I think they were thinking this might be something that needs an antibiotic that might be a little bit worse than just a touch of asthma or something. Like pneumonia. So, like pneumonia. Yeah. 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 They, mm. and I, I didn't feel better. In fact, I felt worse on Thursday. I didn't mm. get out of bed, which was Thanksgiving day. I would, I didn't cook. I didn't eat. Nothing happened wow. that day. So then my husband said, we are going to go see our primary care doctor on Friday. And we did. And the words that he said when I walked in there and after he had listened to my heart and taken a few quick looks around, he said, if we're lucky, it's pneumonia. Wow. And I remember looking at my husband. I'd never been in the hospital other than to have a baby. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, um, that's kind of worse than I thought. And we talked about whether you even went in the hospital with pneumonia, but he, t he then did a chest x-ray and saw that my heart was very enlarged. It was, they termed it severely enlarged for many, many months and was functioning at 6%. Hmm. Uh, just to back up, were you a working woman outside the home? I was teaching college classes. Okay. And so there was a lot of standing. That was a symptom I should have seen many years before. And, you know, I like to say that this snuck up on me, but knowing what I know now about heart failure, I can see a lot of symptoms that I should have recognized earlier. And one of those was that I had taught college classes in total for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. And in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, I could feel my heart beating so fast when I would get ready to start the class. And it wasn't because I wasn't used to teaching, but I thought, you know, maybe that's what other people are talking about when they say, you know, my heart was beating out of my chest when I was getting ready to do public speaking. And so I, I kind of passed that off. Um, but after I was diagnosed and um, having to sort of readjust my life, I realized I couldn't couldn't really teach those classes anymore. And mm. so I've had to make some changes there. Mm. The name, um, I'm intrigued by the the title of your book. I think it's a great title. The I, I heard years ago that the title is for the author and the tagline is for the audience. So we know where you're going. So I'm going to repeat <laughs> it for our audience. Divine Detour, that's the title. The path you didn't choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. You use the word can, so it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed that uh, a path that we didn't choose will lead to a faith we've always wanted. Maybe you need to uh, explain what you mean by a faith you've always wanted as well. Can you comment on that? Yes. I, you know, I grew up in church and I knew about God from almost as early as probably I knew about my mom and dad. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can relate to that, but I, I didn't understand some of the faith concepts. I knew them in my head, but I didn't know them in my heart until this all happened. And the, the title came, the word detour came to me several years ago as I started writing, because I think we all get 
detoured. And you think about what a detour is, you're on this planned route for your life and it's the best way you use your GPS to get there the quickest, the smoothest, without any tolls, and then you're detoured. And the detour is not the best road. It's not the smoothest road. It's not the quickest way to where you want to get. It takes so much longer. Yes. And it's mm -hmm. frustrating because that's yeah. not what you planned. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. So I, I feel like we all get that detour at some point in life. And when we're on that detour, what I found was I confronted a lot of questions that I had buried for years and sort of like the questions about my health that I buried and ignored, but I ignored these questions for a long time. And once I was on that detour, they became so loud to me hmm. that I started writing and they fell into, you know, I wrote and wrote and wrote for a couple of years and my writing fell into three categories. And that's when I realized that these are, there's three questions here. Hmm. Explain those. Cause you have those, you have that on your website. There are three questions that yes. we all must answer. Do you give us the questions on the website as well? In case people are not taking notes right now. They're in my book. I don't oh, know okay. that they're spelled out in my, in okay. my. <laughs> well, after this story, everybody will want your book. So no, no worries. <laughs> tell us, tell us the three questions and what you learned about them. Yes. After I, so after I started writing and, and seeing this, my writing sort of migrate into three categories, I realized that they aligned very closely with what happened with Jesus in the desert. In Matthew chapter four, he, if you'll remember, he was getting ready to start his public ministry. He was um, led into the desert and confronted by the enemy. Mm -hmm. And we usually call them three temptations, but you know, if you think about it, any temptation brings a question to your mind about whether that's worth it, whether you should do it. And so I like to think of them as the three questions that Jesus wrestled with. That's wonderful. And that's great. That's a great way to look at things. So if I'm feeling tempted, I should actually try to, before I succumb, like say eating a third piece of cake, that type of temptation. What's my question in something like that? My question is, is God enough? I don't need a third piece. Do I want to obey him? That, is that kind of yes. thing? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I found as I was wrestling with, you know, I, there were a lot of things and, and we all know this as we're going through there, we're wrestling with things like uncertainty and fear and regret and God's silence and all of that. But when we, when we distill them down, they're like what Jesus faced because the first one he faced, the, if you remember the enemy said, first thing he said is tell these stones to become bread. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was hungry mm -hmm. and it would have been, you know, so easy for him to make those into bread. He's, he's fully hungry. He's experiencing that in all the ways. And the question that he had to wrestle with, and I think the question we wrestle with when we're detoured into the desert as well, is that we have this question of worry. And that question of worry is, is this life all there is? Hmm. Because when you think about it, if this life is all there is, then my survival and my physical comfort and well-being is all that matters. Hmm. 
So go ahead and turn the stones into bread and eat the extra piece of pie because that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And what, when I wrestled through that first question, through these essays in the book, I, I learned that my faith actually had me at the center of it mm. all these years and, and my well-being and my comfort and my physical comfort. So that was the first question that I confronted and um, examined in the book. And let me clarify, so the, why do you use the word worry when you're talking about survival? Mm -hmm. Well, worry, I think, goes to the fact that you're you're worried about current day things, everyday okay. nagging, everything that pulls on us and causes worry is the temporal life pulling on you, telling, saying, hey, I'm the most important thing. Don't forget me. Hmm. And that's where our worries creep up and pile up and become this big monster that we deal with. Okay, great. And the second question? The second question is when the enemy said to Jesus, throw yourself down and the angels will protect you. You will not strike your head against a stone. So what he was saying was just go ahead and jump and nothing's, nothing bad will happen because if God loves you, he won't let you be harmed. Mm -hmm. If you're really God's child, he's going to protect you. And Jesus wrestled with the, uh, the second question that we all do as well, which is a question of doubt. And that question is, is God always good? Mm. Is he good when I am hurt? Is he good when things are going bad for me? And does his, is it sort of a one-to-one -one correlation between how I'm doing and how I'm feeling and his level of care for me? And, and I think what I learned when I wrestled through that question of doubt and examining whether God is always good and why doesn't this feel like love? Because it just, it doesn't right now mm -hmm. is that in a lot of people will go, I know that. And I knew this in my head, but I didn't know it deep in my soul that God doesn't promise us that we won't experience the worst that the world has to offer. And that's borne out in scripture with Job and so many other people, Stephen, John the Baptist, the apostles, they all face the very worst that our world has to offer. But what he did promise is that we won't be alone. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I took for granted for a long time is that, that being having that closeness with God and didn't take advantage of it and feel it like I should have. Don't you think that somebody who is in a very difficult situation like you were and are still would say, I'd really rather stay with a small faith than go to this dark place? Not that they actually have a choice uh, with their disappointment in life. But we do have a choice whether we want to choose a small faith or a big faith. Um, what would you say to a person who's just too afraid to dig that deeper into these questions? Well, I could say, first of all, that I could relate to that because mm. there were there was a time when 
I could not talk to God. I was really giving him the silent treatment. I wasn't sure if this was, you know, I'd been a Christian for 30 years and I wasn't sure if I wanted to buy into this. I hit a snag and this detour that I just wasn't sure anymore about what I believed. And I had a silent period in there. So what I learned there is that we're all going to get thrown onto a detour or we're all going to get crushed and disappointed. And the choice that we have is, do we want to do that alone or do we want to do it with God? And whether we go all in with God or not, what we're cheating ourselves out of is God's best for us. And that is his full presence and his full peace that we couldn't get if we just go sort of half in and I kind of want to do my thing, but I'm kind of going to do your thing. And that's what we miss out on. I don't think we put ourselves at any greater risk of um, anything that could happen to us in this life, but we do cheat ourselves out of the comfort and the companionship and the hope and the peace that we could if we had a deeper faith. And I think um, this probably didn't happen overnight for you the the like experiencing the depth of god's presence and peace was that like uh, okay now i'm gonna choose to grow deeper in my faith did that happen like 24 hours is that how long it took <laughs> no it did not i had and i had just mentioned it is there was a time where i when i left the hospital i was wearing a defibrillator vest and it's called a life vest. It's an external defibrillator that can shock your heart from outside your body. And it was kind of an involved ordeal for anybody that's ever worn one. The, what, what happened was I, I took that home. I was taking all the meds. I was researching. I was trying to figure out what in the world has happened to me. How did I get here? And I just felt like I didn't hear anything from God mm. and I didn't, I didn't see where that was going to go. And so in that 16 month period, um, it started back when I was first in ICU, my friend dropped by a notebook and <laughs> it was, I think she intended for me to make lists in there and, you know, who do I need to write thank you notes to, or phone numbers or something the doctor said, but my husband turned to me about a week or so into our stay and said, you need to be writing all this down. Hmm. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not writing this down. I don't ever want to relive this. It was something that was just a nightmare to me. And I wanted it to be over. And I wanted to go back to my normal life as soon as I could. Did your husband, but, was your husband's intent was so that you would start writing a book or was it just so that he would you would see God's hand in your life? I think that's it. And I'll be honest with you, Sue. My husband's always been way ahead of me in faith. He's Faith comes really easily for him. Mm. And as evidenced by my book, I'm a questioner. And so faith comes a little bit harder for me. Mm -hmm. But he, I think he believed that God was up to something from the very beginning. Mm. I didn't sense that, but I'm thankful that I was surrounded by someone who did. Mm. And you probably thought you were a strong woman of faith before this situation 
I think when we are forced into detours, that's when we're faced kind of like a mirror. Do I really believe in God, number one? Do we really believe that God is in control, number two? And then we have to doubt, do we really believe he loves us because he's allowed this to happen? I think those are questions that we mm -hmm. all have to face in one regard or another. And when we don't, we're lying to ourselves. Uh, what is the third question from your book about the temptation of Christ? The third question that Jesus faced and we face in the desert was when Satan said, bow down to all to mm -hmm. me and all of this will be yours. And what we hear when, when that temptation comes up on our detour is that maybe I have a better plan than what God had. Mm. And we, we wrestle with the third question, which is a question of control, mm. which is a big one for me. Um, and the, for and everybody, the question is <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> it is, it yes. is. We are, we're planners. We're right. Mm -hmm. It's, that question that we keep hearing over and over is, is God's plan enough? Mm. Do I need to help him out with this? Mm. Maybe he's not seeing all the things I'm seeing. Mm. And I like to say that when I pray, then I tell him God how to answer my prayer. You know, <laughs> Lord, make this happen. And this is a good way that this could happen. And it would make me happy and it would make me feel at peace if you just do it this way. Now, I think there's a difference between just laying out all our fears and trauma and pain with God. We can, we are totally invited to do that. I tell people that all the time we come as is, but there's a different thing in my soul going on when I go. And when you do this, Lord, this way, I think this is the best way. So it's it's a matter of manipulation as if we can manipulate God. And we can't. I think the truest mm -hmm. form of love is that we can't control him. Oh, for sure. I That's so true. And I think sometimes, especially when you have an ongoing prayer request, mm -hmm. something like chronic illness or something that happens for years in your family that you pray over and over about, you start to make that request or the fulfillment of that request bigger than God. Mm. And, and that was a danger for me because it became, I became so centered on getting better, improving, surviving that that became more important than God. Mm -hmm. And thankfully he's very patient. God, <laughs> and, and we, we came out of that, but it's, it's a very, uh, slippery slope because we're, we're told to pray for things. And I think as you were talking about, there's, there's a point where you have to sometimes get to a point of relinquishment where you don't necessarily stop praying, but you say, I'm giving up my quest for the way I want it to resolve. Mm. And I'm trusting that you know better. And that's a hard turn sometimes. It can almost feel like you're giving up. But what you're really doing is showing more trust that God knows. He sees the bigger picture and that he cares about you even more than you care about your own survival. So it's more of a surrender, which is a word that is banding bandied about in Christian circles to surrender. I surrender all. I was raised on that hymn and I've sung it and meant it and cried through it because I didn't want to surrender my requests. Mm -hmm. And I think sure. uh, that's something that every um, 
honest Christian has to face. You know, I've done it. I remember I was telling my daughter once I was walking around a junior high track field in the middle of Guatemala on a mission trip, and I was arguing with God as if I would win. But, you know, we have examples in Scripture where people argued with God. And uh, and I I love that part about my story because God didn't shut me out. He just listened to yes. me and I kept walking. And mm. uh, the stars got a little blurry, you know, beautiful skies down there in Guatemala because I was crying. And then finally at the end, I go, well, I just surrender. And that was mm. probably I was 25. And I still have to do that. And I'm 70. So it is a deeper walk, but it takes a long time. And it's something we do over and over. Do you think that's true? Oh, for sure. You know, I had had this with my own health for at least five years, and my dad ended up with cancer. And he and I prayed for each other. We talked on the phone. We supported each other. But there became a time for dad when I knew that a prayer for healing wasn't the right prayer anymore. And that was a hard thing to do, to come to that realization. But if I hadn't, I wouldn't able wouldn't have been able to really be there for him in the way that I was toward the end in a peaceful, accepting, um, you know, comforting way. And so sometimes giving that prayer up for something, not that you stop praying, but that you stop, asking for what you assume is God's best for you, mm. then you get a peace and you also demonstrate that you trust God to take the reins on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's that we're talking about just giving up. I give up in that kind of a, like when you're right. fighting, when you're having an argument with your husband or fighting and he's like, well, forget it. You're never going to change. That's a different kind of an attitude than Yes. And saying, Lord, I, I submit my will to you in on earth as it is in heaven, you know, with my father's health as it is in heaven, with my health in relationships as it is in heaven. How has your precarious life situation affected uh, your, your grown children, do you think? I think it has made them more aware of, first of all, health situations. Um, sure. They are very more aware of their own bodies and things that don't seem right, which is great. Um, but I think faith wise, they, I don't know that I was great as a mom about welcoming faith questions. And that's something I would change if I would, I could go back because, you know, questions are what strengthen faith. There, we, we like to think that the opposite of faith is doubt, mm. but the opposite of faith is indifference. Mm -hmm. It's putting God on a shelf and walking away and never talking to him again. But if you're questioning, you're engaging with God and you're choosing him again and again and again. Um, one of my favorite authors who was a big influence, I never met him. And sadly, he passed away this year, but he, he had a big influence on my writing and uh, the my, the direction of my book. It's Frederick Beekner. Oh, and he so said, great. do you know him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's wonderful. He's a genius. Genius. Uh, and, and could do such marvelous things with such few words. Yeah. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. A marvel. But he had a... 
he had a a quote something like questions are the ants in the pants of faith <laughs> oh wow that's good <laughs> yeah so you know that's the that's what i i wish that i had and i think my kids are getting that now is that as long as we refuse to let that conversation end god's in it he's there he wants to hear from you even if you have a question even if you have something that you want to be angry about the psalms are full of why why not how long and we can just feel that and take comfort in it and i think earlier in my life that wasn't comforting to me i was i it was <laughs> something that but we we know that as parents if if our if our children especially if you think about teen children older children we would much rather them come to us with a question then shut the door and just lock us out of their lives. True. Very true. And that's, that's a, what God wants from us. I told a professor once I was struggling with my faith and it was so hard to admit it to anybody, especially a grown up mm -hmm. and somebody that you admired. But I finally spit it out very slowly. I said, Mr. Hills, I have doubts. And he took a moment uh, just because he was an English teacher and they take moments, you know, to look up into the sky and the trees. And then he said, Sue, if God is not big enough for our questions, then he's not a big enough God, is he? So he answered my doubt with a question where I had to reflect, well, of course he's a big enough God. That was such a comfort. And to this day, we're still friends and he has no recollection of the conversation, <laughs> which I love because then he's not like so full of himself, but also yeah. it's such a great example to be uh, mentoring someone with one question, mentoring them with one statement where they don't feel smaller than they already felt, and then yes. just directing their mind to a bigger God. When we were talking yes. earlier, you quoted an anonymous source, and I don't quite remember what it was, but it was a comfort to you. Not all storms destroy your life. Do you remember remember what I was saying? Yes. What was that yes, quote? This was something that, and I, I follow a lot of heart failure groups, and someone had posted on that group, not all storms come to destroy your life. Some storms come to clear your path. Okay. And why did that mean so much to you? I think when we enter a storm or we see the aftermath of a storm, at first it feels like our life is destroyed. We've lost everything because it didn't turn out like we planned. But what happened for me, and I think can happen if you look closely, is that my path got cleared. For example, as we were talking about, I don't teach college classes anymore. Hmm. I have to really conserve my energy. My days are shorter I can't stand for extended periods of time. So I had to figure something else out. And in doing that, I was able, I figured out, you know what? I can sit at my desk and I can type. That's not an, that's not an issue. And that's when my writing started to take off. That's why when these essays started to tumble out and they became articles and they became book, this book that's coming out. And I wouldn't have taken that chance in a safer, healthier life. Mm. And, and it happened with relationships too. There are people who stepped into my life at that point that 
I might not have ever reconnected with. And that has been such a blessing. So while there were things that I lost, it it was a clearing and, and a clarifying situation for me. And hmm. I think that can happen. It's a something that you have to look at and examine, but it can happen anytime you're you face that sort of storm. Right. And any kind of, it can be a lot less dramatic detour than what you, mm-hmm. you've experienced or are experiencing. Um, when you first realized that you could die at any moment, how did that change how you reflected upon your life or on your relationships? Did you feel like you had to go re- repair some relationships just in case or what? It was a funny time. I have to be honest with you. We, my husband uh, stayed in the hospital with me and we didn't hear a lot of the things up front about how serious I really was. I, he went home the first night after I was admitted and the nurse told him you shouldn't be going home anymore. Mm. Wow. Um, and I, I felt, Sue, I just felt like me. I was playing games with my kids in the hospital I didn't know what the big deal was about. So there was this piece, you know, Mm -hmm. it felt almost like, you know, some people might say denial, but we knew enough to know that it was serious. We could take cues from people in the hospital to know that things were serious, but we had this piece that, and somehow I just knew that things were going to be okay. Even if I didn't leave the hospital, Mm -hmm. even if, I never got any better than I was right now. And obviously we talked to our children and we explained what we knew, which at that point was pretty limited. And we talked to my parents and family, but I did not feel that push to really wrap things up, even though they gave me a, it's funny now that I think about it, there were so many clues that I just, I did not um, panic I did not fall apart. I had, they gave me a notebook when I checked out of the hospital and it was a uh, palliative care. Oh boy. And it had a, a section at the back about how to call hospice. And I just, I left that on my kitchen table for a year before I moved it. I don't, I just never imagined that that would be something that would ever, that I would ever need. But yet it was staring me right in the face. I couldn't run away from it. And I think that piece was God stepping in and saying, I know you're on this detour. If you'll just hang with me, I'm going to be with you. Mm-hmm. And the, the the other time that it was really hard for me was um, 16 months after, actually it was 16 months to the day after I was diagnosed I had to get an appendectomy unexpectedly as they wow. all are. Yes. <laughs> and nobody wanted to do it. They're just like, Oh, I'm not touching that oh, surgery gosh. with a heart like that. Mm. And so they took a, an echocardiogram, which is the test that is the main test they use for uh, determining your heart function. And they came back in and said, you know what? Your heart's functioning normally. Wow. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's the end of my story. This is so great. But what happened was uh, just about three years ago, 
my heart failure dropped and I was in active heart failure again. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned something there that, that made me shift a little bit of my prayer direction because after wrestling with, you know, why would you restore it? And, you know, I'm telling the story. I'm so excited. I'm giving him all the glory. And, and then I'm down here again. I realized that while God is always a God of healing and restoration, it's not always in this life. Mm-hmm. It's always in the next life. Sometimes it's in this life, but it's always in the next life. And every person that he healed in scripture eventually did die. Mm-hmm. And and so when he heals, it's not a permanent physical healing for anybody. And I was given when I left the hospital, they didn't, they didn't think I'd leave the hospital. And then they gave me like six months Mm -hmm. and then I hung on and they gave me five years. So I'm at seven years now and I have been given that extra time. Mm -hmm. And so that along with just the presence and the deeper faith that I've gotten from going on this detour is just a blessing to me Mm -hmm. that 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 had that he's allowed me to see it from a different angle. Are you taking notes now for a second book? I am. I okay. <laughs> I do. I'll send you a notebook <laughs> if you don't. So if you aren't taking, <laughs> ah, that's that's so great because if I don't write down what God has just told me, I forget it forever and ever. Amen. So oh, uh, sure. your story <laughs> reminds me of the time I inter- I inter- interviewed Johnny Erickson Tata. And that was a legacy of suffering well. And and here she has cancer on top of being a quadriplegic. Yes. And I said, do you ever feel like it's like a triple whammy? And and why do you feel pain if you're paralyzed? She goes, right. I asked the doctor the same thing. <laughs> I mean, she's <laughs> such a character. And her character has been built through such suffering. So I recommend that you listen to that one too. When you're feeling yes. down, my dear Lori, what is the legacy you want others to know you for? My greatest hope is that I leave a legacy of being able to ask questions, that questions are okay, that questions are good, that questions are going to deepen your faith and strengthen your connection to God. And I, I hope that I am leaving that legacy in my writing, in and, and just the way that I am now interacting differently with people. Hmm. So that's really the legacy I want to leave. And then within that is sometimes when you ask questions, you get that silent period like I did. And just hanging on through silence is another part of that legacy, because sometimes we can ask a question and it feels like it's echoing back to us Sure. (laughs) and we don't, we don't get the answer. And there's things to learn within the silence as well. Hmm. We call that perseverance, which is not my favorite word Mm. or concept, (laughs) but it keeps a marriage together. It keeps relationships together and it keeps us in touch with our savior. Um, How does your life embody God's welcoming heart? I think one of the things that has been a huge benefit to me uh, when I started blogging is I started hearing from people that. I kind of 
not talked to, not heard from, maybe somebody I went to high school with that I didn't really even interact with in high school, but they were able to find something within the stories that I told or mm -hmm. within the struggle that I shared. And they would contact me and that reaching out to them in even though I didn't know who I was reaching out to, when you put something on a blog, sure. it just goes out there to whoever. But that was something that I I treasure. And I, I hope that that's a welcoming place for people to ask those questions and to just reconnect. When we become adults, <laughs> so much of the what we used to worry about uh, relationally falls away. I tell my kids life's not always going to be this hard. <laughs> So I hope that that just my writing, my website and all of that can be something that people can feel community in, can feel drawn in, can feel understood. Don't you think that they, when they see something of themselves in your story, that's when that you can connect more vulnerably. And I think that's really the whole story of Jesus coming that he understands and knows how it feels to be human because he was human and God at the same time. And so that's a welcoming part of him. And then when you and I are vulnerable with our pain or our stress or obstacles that we are facing, that, that someone else can feel welcome to tell their story and come to Jesus through yes. it. Yeah. Yes. Um, something I've heard you say before is that we are a tiny part of a really big story. What do you mean yes. by that? What do you mean by that? You know, that's something that came out when I was looking at that third question that we talked about, that question of control, because mm -hmm. I wanted my story to start and end in my lifetime. I wanted to see the whole story arc. And I realized that a lot of times we we don't get to see the finished end of our story. Hmm. Yeah. And and we already talked about, you know, like Stephen and John the Baptist, they they didn't see the finished end of their story, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't work it out for the good of his children. And I I learned that I'm just this small part of this big story that God has been telling from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not any less important than what we have in scripture. It's just a different part of the story. And we just have to remember that we may not get to see how this, we, he didn't promise us that we would have an easy life or even a resolved life. Hmm. He just, he, he, he said, well, we'll go, I'll go through this with you. And he demonstrated that when his son was here, you know, Jesus went through everything we did. And so that to me is what, brings it all together when you can say that I am, I'm just this little part. And I think a lot of times we try to read just our part. Like it'd be like reading one chapter of a book and thinking that you understood the whole storyline. Mm, that's excellent. Hmm. And we can't do that. Well, that should be the theme or tagline of your next book. I'll tell you what to write. <laughs> Right. I would love to hear, um, maybe you'll do a set of devotionals. This is maybe not your next book, but things I learned about God, even though that's an overarching theme of your first book, but specifics, you know, I'm, I'm rereading Jesus Calling again. It just always touches me. And I thought, what did she go through in her life 
that she was so intimate with God to hear his voice speak to her. Uh, Amy Carmichael, the same thing, missionary, mm -hmm. I think, to India. So anyway, well, this has been a tremendous blessing, Lori. And how can people find you? Yes, my website is lauriannwood.com. And uh, if anyone's interested in the book, it's lauriannwood.com slash books. Okay, and you're going to be graciously giving away a copy of the book. And I think this will be something people will buy multiple copies of. I plan to. Uh, I, I buy books sometimes thinking this is for this person. And then I read it and I go, oops, it was for me. So <laughs> <laughs> funny how God does that. Thank you so much. Uh, remind us of the title of the book again. It's Divine Detour. The path you didn't choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. Mm -hmm. And Lori is the way it should be spelled like my sister, L-O-R-I. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. It's been a blessing. Thank you, Sue. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here. <laughs>